Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue on in our series called Love and Truth as we go through the book of 3rd John. The name of the sermon is called A Lesson of Contrast. And Pastor David will be preaching from 3rd John 9 through 11. Let's join Pastor David now. Uh, please do, as Jason mentioned, meet me there. Uh, 3rd John, we're continuing through our series, Love and Truth. Uh, seeing just how much is in this small letter uh, for us. 3rd John, today we're looking at verses 9 through 11. Let me read God's word before we jump into it today. 3 John, verse 9. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. But whoever does evil has not seen God. Let me pray. Father, as we look at your word, move amongst us, shape us, mold us, transform us, give us a glimpse of your glory, your goodness, your grace, and show us just how deep the transformative power of grace touches every aspect of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. At this point in 3 John, we come to a new character in the story, if you will. Diotrephes is introduced. And as we've gone through this short letter, again, it's, it's a letter from the Apostle John to his friend, his brother in the faith, uh, Gaius. And he's writing at a very base level to tell Gaius, hey, some traveling missionaries are coming. Can you host them? <laughs> but of course, we know there's much, much, much more going on in this short and brief yet profound letter. And on to the scene comes Diotrephes. And when you get to his name in verse 9, this is kind of the dun-dun-dun the part of the story. Diotrephes. And in some ways, in many ways, Diotrephes serves as a foil for Gaius, an opposite of Gaius, that sometimes Scripture teaches, shows, reveals through contrast, light, dark, good, evil, and as Diotrephes comes onto the scene, we see this contrast with Diotrephes and Gaius. And John is reaching out, see, seeking to advance the gospel through gospel partners in a specific way in this context by sending traveling missionaries, hoping that they would be hosted, and received, and welcomed, enabling the gospel to continue to advance. And by showing this contrast, Diotrephes and Gaius, we see a glimpse at what gospel partnership what partners in the gospel, co-laborers for the sake of Christ, what gospel partners look like, what they are shaped by, and some of their characteristics. And we see in these first two verses that gospel partners build people up instead of tearing people down. That those who want to see the gospel advance, God's word, God's good news in Jesus Christ, see lives transformed and his kingdom grow, a part of one of the marks of a healthy gospel worker is that they're all about building others up instead of the opposite, right? Tearing people down. Look again at these first two verses, 9 and 10. John says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, 
who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Let me pause there. There's a lot that we actually don't know about what was happening in this moment. Uh, but what we do know, absolutely, right out of the gates, is there's some sort of conflict going on. That there's some sort of conflict between Diotrephes and the Apostle John and all the others who are holding this apostolic leadership and stewarding the apostolic teaching of, of Scripture, of God's Word, of, of the Gospel. And we, we, we don't know a lot. I wish we knew more, but we don't know a lot about what the issue that Diotrephes had against John. We don't know if he was making a character attack. You don't know if he was uh, um, angry about something that specifically happened. But what we do know and what we can tell, even from this verse and a half, is that in some way, Diotrephes is being subversive to John's leadership and slanderous against John. He's being uh, subversive to what uh, John is trying to see God do through them in advancing the gospel. And he's also being slanderous against John, toward John, the Apostle John. Now, let me pause here and ask a question that some of you may have were asking when I first read this passage. Is John being touchy? <laughs> Is John being a little bit fussy in, in these verses? These are some sharp verses. I mean, this is in the Bible. Can you imagine when this first hit the printers? Hey, I wonder, I wonder if I'm in the Bible. Well, if you're Diotrephes, it's not a good thing. I've written something to the church. Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if, it, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Is John being fussy? <laughs> I think no. Why? Because what John is doing, he's not writing this, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit through uh, John, the author of this uh, letter. He's not writing this for self-preservation. He's not writing this uh, uh, to in somehow advance himself. He's writing this because he is called to steward the ministry that God has called him to. He's called to steward the gospel and, and the work amongst these churches, probably that this letter would have been circulated to a number of different communities. And what Diotrephes was doing was a threat to the ministry that God was doing in and through these communities. So sorry, John is not here for self-preservation. He's here to protect and steward the congregation, this, this just newborn church in these early stages of history so that the gospel might continue to advance. And again, as I mentioned just sentences ago, we don't know a lot about what this conflict entailed in all of its details. But it's one glimpse among many throughout history, the ways in which this relationship between uh, those who have authority over others and those who are accountable to others, the leader-follower relationship can break down. And this is one example amongst many all throughout history where unfortunately so, painfully so, we can see that take place. Those who are called to take loving responsibility over those who are called to, to, to follow faithfully what God is doing uh, through others, that relationship because of sin. And dear fellow Christians, we, those who have known and studied God's Word, we know that once Genesis 3 happens, everything breaks down. Everything decays. Everything molds. Everything rusts from the inside out. And we see here a glimpse of that authority over, and accountability to, that relationship, it can break down. 
But it's not all bad news. Why? Because the gospel has the ability to redeem those relationships, to restore them, to repair them, to heal them. And the gospel does it in a beautiful way that doesn't, it doesn't sweep that relationship aside. The gospel doesn't say, hey, those have authority over and those are accountable to. Sometimes they break down. The gospel doesn't say, well, then we just got to trash the whole thing. The gospel redeems that relationship. This is how. Uh, I'm going to bounce around um, to a couple different places of Scripture, but let me show you how this works. Um, Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Many of you may know this passage by heart. God's Word says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look out to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That if the very core of the gospel is Jesus Christ and a Christ who humbled himself in his service and love and self-sacrifice for us, that the ultimate one who embodied Philippians 2, Jesus Christ, did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, he counted him, um, others more significant than himself. He looked out to our interests um, not only his interests, but our interests, the interests of others. And if that gets into the core and center, and I know I'm speaking to many here in various circles or spheres of, of ministry or family or work, you have a measure of, of authority that God has given to you by the nature of the role that you have. The gospel, redeeming that authority, says use it and use it to serve. Use it to serve as Christ has served. That Jesus Christ, all authority in heaven and earth is his. He didn't get rid of it. He used it. And in the same way as we use whatever measure of authority God has so in his sovereignty given to you for whatever season, how long or short that is, the gospel redeems that authority, doesn't it? It helps us to use it to love and to serve and to care for others. Here's another passage. Matthew chapter 20. Verses 25 to 28, Jesus uh, says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority in a domineering manner over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And here we have another passage in Scripture showing that the gospel does this great upending. To be first is to be last. To be great is to be humble and lowly. To, 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 to grow in God's kingdom is to become lesser here. To wash feet is the highest honor. To serve is the greatest height. Do you see how the gospel uh, redeems authority in such a way, and it redeems a following or submission in such a way that it reflects the very nature and attitude and disposition and actions of Christ himself. And we see that authority itself is loving responsibility. Loving responsibility. I stumbled across that definition several years back, and I can't get it out of my head. What it means to lead as Christ has lead. What it means to take responsibility as Christ has taken responsibility is to take loving responsibility over others, not domineering, not controlling, right? Not dominant, not self-seeking, not selfish, but selfless, 
serving others, that those around you may flourish, that they may grow, that they may um, live into the design that God has given them in Christ. Authority. See how the gospel redeems this. Here's another passage. This passage specifically applied to uh, pastors, elders, uh, those with a measure of uh, leadership in the context of a local church. Listen to this passage. God's Word says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd, shepherd, lead, make decisions, move forward, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. How? Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, there's a whole bunch of things that could be said on that passage, but do you see the, the beautiful, healthy guardrails that God's Word gives us? Again, to whatever measure of degree of authority God has bestowed on you, the role in your home, husbands as head of your home, parents as, as parents of your children, people in your workplace, in your career, in, in the context of a local church, God calls us to lead, to shepherd, to care, as Christ is a shepherd and, and cares for us. And all of us, under the chief shepherd. And I love that because what the gospel does is it produces a community in which we are all of us, all of us, all of us, mid-management under Christ. <laughs> that he is the head of his church. He is the ultimate shepherd. That all of us in every single way um, are mid-management to him. That those who are often incredible leaders are very good followers to Christ that they follow him well enough that the way that they exercise leadership is a reflection of Jesus Christ himself. Do you see how the gospel redeems this category? Those who have accountability over and those who are accountable to. Let's go to a couple other passages on that end. We see, uh, biblically speaking, that uh, following or, or submitting is yielding to Christ through others. It's voluntarily yielding to Christ through others. Biblically speaking, submission is never something that we demand of others. Never. Submission is never something that justifies sin, ever. Submission is never su something that justifies wrongdoing or evil, never. Submission is never something that looks at a harmful situation and says, yeah, well, sorry, never it does that, never, ever, ever. Submission, biblically speaking, redeemed by the gospel, is voluntarily yielding to Christ through others. Check out this passage. There's a passage in Ephesians chapter 5, the verse before some of you may be thinking about passage I'm going to. Ephesians 5 verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And this passage comes in the context of showing that one of the marks of being filled by the Spirit 
amongst a community of believers and a community of Christians that if the Spirit is present amongst us and in us, one of the marks of that is it forms a community that is submissive to one another out of, out of reverence for Christ. So one of the predominant dispositions of a Christian community is we turn to one another and we say, how can I serve you? How can I yield to you? But do you see what that does? If you get an entire community of believers asking each other, not how can I be served? How can I be served? But how can I serve you? Do you see what happens? Selflessness starts to grow. Service starts to grow. Love starts to grow. Patience starts to grow. Empathy starts to grow. Listening starts to grow. And we get this modeled in Jesus Christ himself who absolutely did nothing out of on this earth that was outside of full submission to God his Father. We're taking our cues from Christ. Here's another passage. It shows how the gospel redeems following. Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God's word all over Scripture shows us that though in 3 John we get a glimpse, an example of this, someone with authority over, someone who's accountable to, John and Diotrephes, that relationship can break down. When you apply the gospel to it, that relationship can heal. It can heal. Now, I've jumped all around Scripture in an attempt to try to give a glimpse and shed light on 3 John 9 and 10, the first part of these, this passage. But I would pastorally miss, I think, something, a necessity to say and to do. Because I know whenever we come to this topic, all of us, every single one of us, comes with a measure of brokenness. Whenever we start thinking about what it means to be a leader and a follower head, someone with authority, is someone who's accountable to. Whenever we come to this topic, every single one of us comes with real pain, real hurt, in varying degrees and in various ways. Sin, very destructively so, can take both of these categories that God has designed and distort them. And I know I'm speaking to many, and if not you personally, then absolutely someone you know, someone who might need your shoulder to cry on, someone who might need you to be a hand to hold as they heal through seasons of pain and brokenness as, when it comes to this topic, whether that's in a family, whether that's in an organization, whether that's in your career, whether you've seen it from afar or whether it's been very, very close to your journey. So I'm going to do something maybe unique. I'm actually going to pray right in the middle of the sermon. I'm not done yet, <laughs> but I'm going to pray right in the middle of this sermon specifically for all of us as we come with the pain of this topic. So let me do that even, even right now. Father, as a under-shepherd under you, I lift up this flock. I lift up us. I lift up those who can hear my voice, Lord, that all the pockets of our life that have pain attached to someone in our life who is supposed to take loving responsibility over us but didn't, pain 
Lord. I pray for those who have uh, memories of pain, of trying to lead faithfully, and have been hurt through the process. Pain, Lord, in all sorts of different ways. And Father, I pray that time plus prayer plus Scripture plus healthy Christian community plus the gospel plus you and your presence plus the intercession of God the Son and the intercession of God the Holy Spirit might bring a measure of healing. Lord, we know it can take place. We ask that you would do that. I ask that you would do that for those listening here today. I pray this in your name. Amen. Gospel partners build God's people up. They don't tear them down. It's one of the marks of what someone transformed and shaped by the gospel does is we try to be co-laborers to advance this work that God has given us. We build each other up. We don't tear each other down. Secondly, gospel partners advance God's work. (laughs) They want to see it advance. They want to see it go instead of thwarting God's work. Look at the second half of verse 10. John continues to write that Diotrephes is not content with just words, and that phrase, wicked nonsense, is a connotations of slander, malicious gossip. Not content with that, Diotrephes refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Again, what's happening here? Remember, John is writing this letter to guys, receive these missionaries that are coming that their gospel work might continue in advance. And then we see Diotrephes is doing exactly the opposite. He's refusing the brothers. He's discouraging others from partnering with him in this way. And if someone does build up the courage to do it, Diotrephes is putting them out of the church. There could be no more classic example of kind of a stick in the spokes of what John and and those who are trying to see the gospel advance are seeking to do. And that, that raises the stakes, doesn't it? John is writing to Gaius, won't you receive these missionaries? So he's writing to Gaius fully knowing that if Gaius says yes, there could be a risk to him. As we prayed earlier in this service, we have expressions near and far all throughout history of ways that being faithful to seeing the gospel advance puts God's people at real risk. And this is a different situation, different context, in a, but a risk nonetheless that if Gaius does this, he himself can be put out, excommunicated. And in this time, in this context, this was a big deal. Um, years ago, uh, many of you, well, probably all of you might not know this, um, I had a um, basketball career that ended in, uh, well, I retired. And um, after my week long of fifth grade basketball camp, I thought, it's time to retire the jersey. And uh, years later in seminary and grad school, after many hours of typing and emails and papers, which prepared me physically for this moment, um, a couple friends of mine convinced me after much, much, much conversation to come out of retirement. So I said, okay. And a few minutes into this pickup game that we were playing, I understood why I went into retirement in the first place. <laughs> and so here we are, and, I, and I, I distinctly remember, man, this ball would go in that hoop a lot easier if this hand wasn't in my face. And I could pass this to my teammate much easier if that person didn't keep stealing it. I went back into retirement. 
not my calling. <laughs> but it was this <laughs> fresh reminder, right? Wouldn't sport be so much easier if no one was on defense? <laughs> Wouldn't ministry be so much easier if Satan wasn't on defense? Wouldn't parenting be so much easier? Can I get a witness? If Satan wasn't on defense, wouldn't living a, a faithful witness in your family and work circles and community, wouldn't it be a lot easier if Satan wasn't on defense? Wouldn't living a faithful Christian witness in your workplace, wouldn't loving your neighbors, wouldn't uh, seeking to be faithful to the message of the gospel in turbulent times, man, wouldn't all, wouldn't all of this be so much easier there wasn't a hand in our face. And every time we sought to seek to advance good and seek to advance what God would do through us and seek to advance the gospel, that it wouldn't get snatched away. Friends, someone's on defense. And I think periodically, verses like these are a helpful reminder that that is the reality. And that's not a reminder to discourage us. That's not a reminder to, to don't go into retirement, dear Christian. It's not a call that we would hang our chins and, and, and G-shucks our way through life and, and Eeyore our way through ministry. We know the end of the game. We know the end of the story. We know how the championship finishes. So my friends, when you face defense, this is as old as Scripture itself. It's as old as the Garden of Eden itself. When you face defense, don't be surprised. Don't be shocked. Don't let it derail you. Uh, don't let it uh, keep you discouraged. Carry on. Bear each other's burdens. Lift each other up. Lock arms. Pray for one another. Lean into one another. Uh, retreat back in seasons. Be filled in, uh, by, by Christ. Be filled by the Holy Spirit. Lean in on God and His Word. And then get back at the battle. <laughs> Get back at what God has called you to do. We see it here. In a very simple way, John must be thinking, man, I'm just trying to get missionaries from point A to point B. Defense. Gospel partners advance God's work. They don't thwart God's work. Thirdly, gospel partners do good instead of evil from relationship with God. Check out this final verse. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. In this verse, catch the logic of grace uh, that we do what we do for God from the motive and source of being in God. And that matters. If you reverse that order, if you reverse that logic, we lose the biblical gospel. We lose the pattern of grace. If we do good for God, for God's approval, now we're in the realm of general religion. I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. But do you see the pattern of the gospel? If you are from God, and so says John chapter 1, verse 13, that we were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. He's the source. He's the motive that we serve him from grace, not for grace. We serve him from acceptance, not for acceptance. And we are called to 
imitate, uh, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does not, uh, whoever does evil has not seen God. And this passage calls us to lean into what God has called us to do from our relationship with Him. And in this context, we see that by hosting missionaries, Gaius reveals his allegiance to Christ, and by blocking this work, Diotrephes reveals his allegiance to himself, the forces of darkness. And again, we see this foil, right? This contrast that Diotrephes is this, this opposite of Gaius who ultimately points to Christ, who ultimately is a, a small glimpse Christian, which actually means little Christ, this small glimpse, this small window into the ultimate one, Jesus Christ. And this passage, I think, calls us to do, do what's right for God from your relationship with God. Very simply, do what's right for God. Why? Because you've been in God, because you were saved by Him, because you've been adopted, chosen, redeemed, given grace from that relationship, from that grace. Lean into the calling that God has given you. So if you've come to this place to make much of yourself, wrong community. But if you've come to this place to make much of Christ, welcome. Welcome and join us. Join the work that we are trying to see advance here at Village. What we're trying to do is to lock arms with each other and advance the mission that God has given to us in his great commission and great commandment. Join us. And some of you might be thinking, well, where do I start? How do I do that? Well, as I mentioned last Sunday in your email on Thursday, those who are connected to Realm, please get connected to Realm. There's a survey there. If you don't know where to start, if you're thinking, you know what, uh, this, we, I find myself in a new season. Um, I, I'm thinking about how I want to get plugged in to, to seeing this ball of the gospel move further down the field. Where do I start? Check out that survey. If you can't have access to that, there's a um, clipboard is what they're called in the lobby that you can uh, uh, write down at Guest Central uh, some areas of service that you might be interested in that we want to get, help you to get plugged in to fulfill the calling that God has given you in partnership with us to see God's gospel, God's work advance. So church leaders, spouses, parents, all those with a measure of authority over all those who have called to be accountable to all of us, that's all of us in both of those categories, may we lead and love and serve and live like Christ. Why? Because we've been born of Him. Because we've received His grace. And that as we do that, the world may get a glimpse of our King. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask, or even as I pray, just fresh on our hearts and our minds, the reality of the challenge of living faithfully the Christian life in our time, and Lord, that's true of us in Lake County, that's true of Christians all around the state and nation and continent and globe. Lord, every single season of all of human history, the gospel has advanced, not devoid of challenge, but through challenge. So, Father, I ask that you would breathe a fresh breath of encouragement and strength in us, breathe a, a, a fresh sense of anticipation of your work and your action that we might see you through us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. 
If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org. 